Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. Happy to be joining you back in home in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, I've got a couple of interesting conversations uh, this week. One of them with Andy Reid, the Super Bowl champion head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, recorded last week and also also recorded late last week, uh, Jason Wright, the new president of the Washington football team, who's making quite the media tour, but I don't believe that anyone has asked Jason Wright the searing, you know, inquisitive questions that I asked him, especially about his greatest game as a National Football League player. You know, most people say, who's Jason Wright? They don't remember him. But you'll remember him after you listen to him talk about his greatest game ever. Hint, hint, hint. It was in Pittsburgh against the arch-rival Steelers. So, um, before we get into that, I was going to talk today a little bit about uh, something cool that I was involved with on Tuesday, which was nominating the Contributors Subcommittee uh, nominee for the 2021 class for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. What happens is you nominate a contributor, and then the day before the Super Bowl, you discuss them, And if he gets 80% of the vote, he's in the Hall of Fame. And the contributor who won, beating out Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, and and, and a a very good list, including Art McNally, uh, the longtime NFL executive, the most influential officiating voice in NFL history. Both of those men, I feel, strongly deserve to be in and one day will be in. But beating them both out, I thought justifiably, I love the pick of Bill Nunn, the longtime Steelers scout. Um, I'll be writing a little bit about him in my column this coming Monday. Uh, Just really love the choice because of how deserving he is, what a great scout he was. He scoured the historically black colleges of the United States. Um, He was just an an extremely influential scout and was a huge influence on the great Steelers dynasty of the uh, 1970s. But what I'm going to talk about first really is uh, what happened in the NFL in the last few days, and that is the, what I would call the incredible, uh, uh, the, the, <laughs> the incredible emotion uh, around the death of Jacob Blake um, in Kenosha, Wisconsin. He was an unarmed black man who was shot in the back seven times by police, uh, and it's caused outrage all over the country. Um, 
The only reason I'm bringing that up is because the Detroit Lions boycotted practice on Tuesday. And as I record this on Tuesday night, this is going to continue to be a big story. And what you're seeing is, and you hear several players in the NBA saying, should we even be playing anymore? I mean, this is, we, we spent so much time and energy, uh, you know, devoting our resources to protesting the death of George Floyd. And I know so many people will hear this and they'll say, oh my God, just play, you know, shut up and dribble, go practice football, play football. But I'm just telling you, last week, when I had an audience with Patrick Mahomes, now Patrick Mahomes to me is going to be the biggest star in this game for the next 10 years. And uh, I think he's a, if you've read much about him, you've seen him in action, I've gotten to know him. And again, people always say, geez, you know Mahomes, what do you think of him? I don't know Patrick Mahomes. I've interviewed him a bunch of times. And my interactions with him have been great but I don't know Patrick Mahomes. The thing that I do know, though, is that I like what I see out of him. I think he's got tremendous perspective. Listen to what he told me last week, and I quote, football's obviously super important, but helping out the world is more important, and we're going to try and do that every single day. Obviously, I love football, but I love trying to make the world a better place even more. It's my job and my duty to speak up. And he's going to continue to speak up. He is partnering on a get out the vote and, and uh, you know, not just get out the vote and vote for uh, the president, but get out the vote, uh, vote in all your local elections. And not only that, but make sure that if you see any obstruction of voting in some of these states where people have had to wait in line six, seven, eight hours, you know, report that. Let's, let's bring that to the forefront. So I think you're going to see him, LeBron James, Michael Vick, several people. The New York Times wrote a story about it. Um, they're going to get involved in this very, very significantly. And for everyone who says, hey, just play football, do whatever, I'm telling you, this if you love football and you want to watch football and you don't want to see this, I'm sorry, but the two are no longer mutually exclusive. Football players are going to do social action in and around playing football. And that was shown Tuesday uh, in Allen Park, Michigan, right outside Detroit, where the Detroit Lions uh, basically said, we're not practicing today. They got support from Matt Patricia, the head coach. And, uh, you know, basically, and I'll quote Duran Harmon, the Lions' safety, who said, as we came in today as a team, we looked each other in the eye and realized that football is not important today. We have a platform that we're able to use to not only raise awareness, but to create change. And we are going to use that platform to create change. And so I just think right now, what we're looking at is basically a sea change in sports. And I think it's good because I think what we're seeing is like 50 years ago in America, uh, 52 years ago, with the Olympics, with the clenched fists, uh, you know, of the Olympic athletes, John Carlos and Tommy Smith. You know, when you look at things like that and you look at what's happening today, I think they're really very, very similar. And so uh, don't decry this 
don't think this is wrong. You know, be thankful that the players who play the game that you love and the games that you love really want to make the world a better place. That's how I look at it. And, and I have to tell you, I'm damn proud of these guys who are doing this because they're basically saying, hey, look, we'll be athletes and we'll go out and, and we're going to do the thing that we really, really love to do. But in this day and age, uh, after the death of George Floyd and after the, you know, incredibly brutal um, video that we saw, you know, and, and the protests that we've seen surrounding the Jacob Blake story, um, you know, I applaud the Detroit Lions. I think it's really, really good. So let's get into our uh, interviews uh, for this week. And we're going to start with Andy Reid. I recorded Andy Reid's, uh, con my conversation with Andy Reid uh, while in Nashville because in this day and age, quite honestly, you, you, you're not going to talk to people face-to-face. -face. So I talked to him uh, over video conference from room 2310 of the JW Marriott in Nashville, and Andy was eight hours away in Kansas City. So here's my interview with Andy Reid. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen, remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, 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 of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. Back on the podcast, happy to be joined by uh, Super Bowl champion head coach Andy Reid of the Chiefs. Andy, we were talking a couple of weeks ago, and you have a little bit of sentimentality about going through a year in a pandemic with your coaching staff that early on in a meeting in July, you wanted to commemorate. And I'd love you to share that story of that meeting and a photograph. Yeah. So I'm standing in there and I'm addressing the staff for the you know, for the first time since we, we were able to get back in the building. And I look out there and I'm going, this, this is unbelievable. I, I had Rick Burkholder actually given the injury report and talking to the guys about the uh, – Your the trainer. The, yeah. yeah, our trainer, uh, Rick Burkholder, uh, working through the COVID uh, process that we'd have to go through every day. And, and, um, and, and when he's talking, I'm going, oh, my gosh, everybody here has a mask on. This is, this is like incredible. So I said, uh, I go, does anybody in here have a, their phone? 
and one person had it and he's the one that ran our trading cap. He had to have it. Nobody else had their phone, which I was proud of on that side. But uh, so because I, you don't allow phones in meetings. Yeah, you don't have phones in meetings. So yeah. so Mitch brings up his up his phone and I said, all right, click that thing on and, and get get the camera out. And I said, we're going to take a picture of this right here and, and I'm give it. I'm only giving it to you and nobody else will get this thing. Um, and you save it, save it for your grandkids and just show them what, what we went through here. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a very unique time. I think it's one of the reasons why a lot of people around the NFL were really happy for you because through your triumphs and tragedies, you know, the loss of your son, uh, I think everybody looks at you as just a human being who experiences kind of the same things and has a lot of the same feelings that, that they have. And when I heard that story, when you told me that story, I just said, that's a great story for you. You know, and I, I think you'll probably always remember that one. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's a unique time. So I appreciate that though, Peter. Um, Andy, what has it been like for you uh, this off season, it's almost an experience unto itself. As you said, it's going to be different than any other thing. What's been, give me a couple of things that have been, that's been tough for you, or it's been difficult for you guys, the team basically to get your work done. Uh, well, the on field is, uh, the, the obvious. So, uh, other than that, we, we cranked and we had, I mean, it's hard to believe, but we had like a hundred percent attendance. Um, with our guys at, at these WebEx meetings. So um, they, they were all in and um, they didn't miss. And so we were able to go through installs. We were able to go through all our off-season studies with them. And uh, what, what I didn't think we could get accomplished, we got accomplished. And, and old guys like me learned all this technology and uh, it was unique. It was just uh, it was a unique thing. But um, the actual on-field work you can't, you couldn't do. We were locked out of the building, so um, and, and the kids were, you know, they were all in their homes. So we we just had, to, we just did everything virtually. I had a conversation this week with Alan Sills, the NFL's chief medical director, and he said that uh, when I was talking to him about sort of the importance of trying to get this season played, and he made an interesting point. He said, you know. America should be rooting for us because we need to get back to some degree of normalcy. Who knows how long before a vaccine comes? Who knows how many people will even take the vaccine in this country right now? So I mean, do you kind of feel the same way football is sort of a bit of an allegory, even though, a, uh, you know, a very wealthy allegory to try to get back to some sort of normal life? No, I think so. No, I absolutely think so. I, you can see what's happened with the other sports. Uh, I mean, people are tuning in and watching, and uh, that's what this country this country loves uh, sports and, and professional sports, college sports. They, they love it all. So uh, it's no more obvious than now. And that's what that's what I felt when I was out and about. I, you know, people would, oh man, I hope we're playing and. So there's there's a be twenty percent capacity in our stadium. Those that twenty percent, man, that's going to be a wrestling match to see who they are uh, to get in how there. Are they, how are they deciding that, by the way? Yeah, listen, I have no idea. I'm, I'm not sure exactly. Uh, you know, the ultimate jump ball, right? It's uh, <laughs> it's, uh, 
That's a killer. But, you know, I, 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 I get asked this question a lot. Hey, what if Kansas City gets to have 20%? And what if the Chargers can't have any fans? Or what if Denver can't have or whatever? And I just say, you know, there's a time and a place to get upset about things like that. This year is not the time or the place to get upset about if some team can have 20%, some team can't have any fans. This is, in a lot of ways, I just think this is going to be an unfair year. You know, and it's not all going to be equal, but just relax and hope that everybody gets to play 16 games. That's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. It's, uh, it is unique. Um, and so I think we're all in that mode where you have to roll with the punches and, you know, they're going to be, there'll be some bumps in the road and you got to work around them and through them and everything else. So to get it done, I think we're all excited to be back. I, I feel that way about the players. I think if you probably asked every head coach, I mean, the staff, the staff was great. They were fired up to be back. The players were fired up to be back. And, and then holding these guys back on the, on the, all this ramp up stuff is a tough thing to do, but they've, they've managed it. We're myself and O'Brien were the, the two guinea pigs here. So we're, we're the, we've <laughs> got mean the going, early. going back earlier. Yeah. You got the first game. The Thursday game. So, yeah. And so it's, uh, you know, the, but listen, it's been great. It's been great to have everybody back. Um, Andy, I talked to your quarterback who said uh, that you've been uh, you've been busy doing some new stuff and uh, that, you know, as you do every year, you, you're not a static coach. But if we watch the Chiefs this year, think of some way you can disguise this. But if we watch the Chiefs this year. How do you think, if any way, you'll look different than you did in your Super Bowl year? Yeah, well, it won't be by personnel because we have most of the people coming back. So the, the scheme would be the the part that, you know, we're always tinkering with and and trying to add new things. That doesn't mean we won't do our the old stuff either, but um, you're, you're always trying to grow. And we've got a young quarterback that, that's growing and, and, uh, and loves the challenge of more. Um, within reason, so so we've added we've had, added some things in. It's exciting. We just have to uh, wait to show you. <laughs> in other words, as Bill Parcells used to say, "Well, you're going to have to come to the game for that." That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, how often in the course of the off season did somebody come up to you and said, "Hey, coach, two two three jet chip wasp." Yeah, there were a lot of wasps out there. It was a popular bug, I'll tell you, and, uh, uh, which was great. I mean, that was a that was a heck of a play. Uh, now everybody knows it because you put it out there, but that's good. <laughs> got, well, you got, you drew it for me. No, I, I got a free shirt for it. So I was giving you the evolution of it. Now, know, you've got you about a hundred lines on that piece of paper, but it's it. Uh, yeah, so I've got a like I said, I got a free T-shirt, and that was great. It's got the play right on it. Yeah. Um, how hard is it, Andy, when you know that not only every team in the AFC West, because obviously you go to school on every team in your division anyway, that everybody, you know, on your schedule is is really spending a lot of time this off season to prepare for you, to try to decipher you, to try to frustrate you and frustrate Patrick Mahomes. 
what do you do as a coach to combat that? Yeah, I think you honor that. I mean, that's uh, uh, you've worked hard for for that to happen, all of us, and and so you wear that, and then you go back and you go back through the process. So everything wasn't smooth last year. It never is getting getting where we got, and so um, you you we had ups and downs. We didn't win every game, and and uh, we were behind in the playoffs every game. So. Um, everything wasn't perfect and you got to go back to the process and you know, you're going to have hurdles that you, you got to uh, get over during the year um, on the football field. And, and so every, you know, uh, like I said, you, you go through every day and just make sure that you're doing the best you can. And, and then you let the chips fall where they may. Um, you know, there's been some speculation about you, and how long you're going to do this. You're 62 years old. You seem to still really like it. Have you thought to yourself how much longer you want to be a head coach and have this exciting electric quarterback who's going to be a career chief uh, at the controls of your offense? Yeah, well, he gave me half his contract, so I'd stick around. No, he didn't. <laughs> um, listen, I'm I'm fired up uh, every day that I have a chance to do it. You know that. I, I mean, I love doing what I'm doing. I'm around great people. I get to work for the Hunt family. They're they're phenomenal. I mean, Clark just does it the right way. And and um, and so, listen. Here here I am, and uh, I haven't thought about the other part of this. I've just tried to focus in on. Uh, I love it. I'm gonna keep doing it until I don't love it. I guess and. Or they kick me out of the building. So one of those, one of the two. But uh, right now, I'm uh, I'm very excited to do what I'm doing. I, listen, I've got great players too. I've got Brett Veach here, who's bringing all these guys in and keeping them here. And these guys work hard. They enjoy doing what they're doing. So um, my my thing is, let's roll. Two two last things. You know, Mahomes is such an interesting guy because he has really become a team leader. You know, he's your of all things, he's your player rep. He, you know, wants everybody in the locker room to vote. He wants to lead Black Lives Matter. He, he want, and yet, you know that he's going to work as much as he needs to work to be great at his job. And I wonder what happened this offseason with you and him. Tell me what it was like to work with him sort of virtually instead of, you know, uh, man-to-man in the same room. Um, and, and take me into some of the stuff that you and he did this offseason, basically to try to be better. Yeah, so I, I, I used to wear them out with these little three-by-five cards. You've seen those. And um, I'd walk down to the quarterback room and I'd say, hey, you think we can get this thing done right here? And, and it was kind of a fun thing that we did. So that was you know, there'd, there'd be a, There'd be a play on the card. There'd be a play on the card. Yeah. 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 And, and so uh, we didn't have that opportunity, but we had an opportunity to do it virtually. And we kind of kept that going. And and we shared it with the rest of the guys. We shared it with all the positions. And so you and would take a three by five card with a play. Well, say, I, you guys listen, think we can guy, do this? Yeah. My, my guys here, the coaches, they, they put it on the, you know, they make it look good. So yeah, yeah. I give it to them and then they, they draw it up nice. Uh, so it's a little different, but, we, we shared it with all the guys we, and, and the guys got into that. And, and so my, my thing with Pat is he loves, he loves ball. He's a good guy. I mean, just a good person. 
and and very competitive and wants to get better every day. I mean, it's it, it, that's that's how he does it. And and so the the players know it. He's not um you know, you named all of the things he's involved in, but he's still a guy. He's he's one of the guys and um that has a lot of responsibility and he's able to handle that and 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 be the leader of the football team and make everybody around him better and come to work with a great attitude. You don't get this huge fluctuation in personality. You're going to get the same guy and uh, he just wants to go out and, and dominate. I think one of the things that, that I I've always, and again, Patrick is such a young guy in the game, but when I heard right after you guys had to cut Kareem hunt a couple of years ago and Patrick wanted to talk to the team alone, and, you know, I looked it up on your roster and if, and I assume there would be 53 players in the, in the room that day. Well, 49 of them were older than Patrick Mahomes. And yet he felt comfortable enough in his own skin. And as this guy on the team to come out and say, in essence, we're not going to let this ruin our season. Come on. We gotta, we get, we gotta pick it up. And you, but it's interesting. You weren't in the room that day, right? It, it was, no, it was no. players only. Yeah, yeah. He came in and he just said, Hey, can I, can I um, have a minute with the team? He says, he says, I'll be quick. <laughs> I, said, I said, all right, you got it. So um, he talked to him and he was, he was quick. He was in and out in a couple minutes and, and we moved on. So, um, which, you know, says something also uh, that he, he has a feel for that. He wasn't going to sit in there and, and preach to the guys over and over and over about, about it. He just, he made a statement and, and, uh, and the guys believed it and understood it and were with them. So, and we moved on. Um, I want to ask you about one other player on your team. Who's really fascinating to me. And that's Tyron Matthew for him to have taken on the sort of leader type role that he did basically when he almost just walked in your, your team, you, you know, and, I've always thought it was really interesting about him. He did not allow, he would not allow, you know, when he was like in college and just, you know, he was, his, his price tag was devalued because of all the off field stuff that happened. He refused to let that part of his life ruin his life. And he has done something every year, I think in the NFL to show teams, you know, you want me on your team. Yeah. What's it like every day with Tyron Matthew? Yeah, well, Bill O'Brien told me that. He just goes, hey, listen, this kid, you just got a phenomenal leader. And that what a tribute to the kid. I mean, he did. He had a, he had a rough go. He grew up rough, and um, and he he changed things around, and, and he gives back. I mean, the first week he was in town, he was out doing community work. I mean, that's just how he, how he goes. Um, and then he's always here. I mean, you, it, it's funny because we're working in the stadium now. <clears throat> and so we have golf carts that circle the stadium, uh, circle inside the stadium on this, on the carpet. We've got the gray tires, go, you know, I mean, we've got it all set up where we can drive these things in one direction around the stadium and utilize all the space we possibly can for social distancing. So every day I drive by the part of the defensive uh, meeting room and where the, where the, uh, defensive backs end up going after the defense breaks up and and he's in there I go up early early he is in there by himself and he's talking to the 
to the film. He's looking at it, he's evaluating, evaluating the film, and, and he makes funny noises. I think that's why they call him the Badger. I mean, you know, he makes all these little grunts and groans as he's watching stuff. So, uh, but he, you know, he, he is into it, and he is so smart and, and such a uh, – he's smart on the field and off the field and, and such a good leader, and he does it with this great energy and intimidated by nothing, nothing. I mean, he is, uh, he just, he wants to challenge every play. He's kind of maniacal with how he sort of fires himself up and the screaming and all that stuff. And, you know, you wonder about that. You sort of wonder what's going through his mind. You know, I've seen a couple of NFL films clips where he's just, you know, kind of a crazy guy. And then he goes and plays football. Yeah, he can work within that. A lot of people, they get crazy and they can't think straight and they make a lot of mistakes. The best one of that, the best example of that was he was mic'd up during the Super Bowl and he comes off the field and he's, you know, he's badgering out on it. And so he goes and he sits next to Tyreek and he's just going, and he's just saying stuff. And Tyreek looks at him and goes like, what are you talking about? I mean, (laughs) no idea. (laughs) <laughs> but he vented for that for that second. He vented, and then he got it back together, and he went out and you know played his tail off. So, but he, he's he is he's unique. He he. What what's unique about those two guys is they're as much into the offense and defense, the other side of the ball that they play as anything. So they're they're always talking uh, to the offense. Uh, Tyron talking to the offensive guys. And then Pat talking to the defensive guys. It does, there's no wall at all. Yeah. I think it's so interesting about how quickly teams change and everything. You know, if you'd been sitting there in 2017, if we're sitting there in training camp and you think, or even 2016, you look ahead and you say, well, the two team leaders when we win the Super Bowl in 2019 are going to be Patrick Mahomes and Tyron Matthew. And that's a gross oversimplification. I'm sure you've got a lot of other guys who who are leaders as well, but things change so quickly in football. And if you can't adapt and you can't live within that change, you know, it's kind of adapt or die, you know? There's so much parity in this league. And that that's the one unique thing with the salary cap that gives every city an opportunity. And, and so, and it gives the coaches, the, the owners an opportunity to compete for a Super Bowl, and and that's why um, during a recession, the the NFL was still growing. It's popular; people love it. It's exciting. It's fan friendly. I mean, it's uh, it's great for TV. Uh, all the new technology that's out, these iPads and everything else that your cell phone. I mean, it's everywhere, and it allows you and I to make a, a living uh, doing what we love to do, and so. Um, it's, it's a, it's a unique, uh, dynamic, I would say, or, or, uh, business. We'll end with this. Um, for years, uh, you obviously were looking to win a championship and everybody who talked about football would say, yeah, Andy Reid's a great coach, but he never won a Super Bowl." And I just wonder if, has your life changed even one scintilla? by winning a Super Bowl, what's, what's different in your life now, if anything? Well, not much. I mean, 
I'm not much. I, uh, not much. I still love cheeseburgers, Peter. I mean, I, I mean, uh, are, how great are those? Huh? How great is a good cheeseburger? I mean, I, I like cheeseburgers as much as the next guy, but I don't think I like them as much as you do. Yeah, no. Listen, there's just something about it, but it keeps it keeps you grounded, Peter. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, listen. Thanks so much for taking all the time. Good luck this year. It's going to be such a fun chemistry experiment to see if this season can be played out to fruition signs are good right now but you know you're in the first quarter of a long game that's right it's exciting thank you andy thanks a lot for taking the time all right peter appreciate you and now my conversation with the president of the washington football team jason wright Happy to be joined on the podcast this week by Jason Wright, the new uh, president of the Washington football team. And Jason, I think a lot of people basically look at this as a very historic hire. You're the first black person to be the president of a National Football League team. Now, the NFL is 100 years old. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder, I'm sure it's a, it's, a, it's a happy thing for you and a momentous thing for you, but how do you look at the fact it has taken so long for an event like this to happen? Well, um, I think in, in general, and thank you for having me, um, yeah. I think in general, I answer this differently than I had uh, in other interviews because I think I just had a moment of insight, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I think that this, this isn't the last time we'll be talking about a first black something or other. And that's just the reality of actually how deep discrepancies have been for a really long time in businesses and organizations of all types. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we could we could anchor in on, you know, 100 years in the NFL. And certainly there's a uniqueness about it because the majority of players on the field are black, which makes it especially stark. Um, but you know, that, that said, um, I think it's important to look a bit forward, try to understand how we create more opportunities. Cause it's not about just getting black talent in to get black talent. in. if we believe talent is equally distributed across everybody in all types across all society, then when we don't see representation, it means we're not getting the best talent. So this is actually about getting the best talent into chairs. And so hopefully now this is an opportunity for us to think about how we actually get the best talent into the front office across the NFL, uh, across the NFL. You, you, uh, basically, are, as we're recording this on, on Friday afternoon, August 21st, and this is your last day at your old job, and you're about to start your new job, but you've already started your new job in some ways, obviously, because, and, and look, I'll bring up Ron Rivera now, because obviously, you have had uh, today, I guess uh, you have taken some time today to basically uh, talk to your organization, all yeah. of your employees about going forward now that uh, Ron Rivera has uh, announced that he has uh, uh, cancer of the lymph nodes and uh, will be undergoing some treatment for it. Tell me about what that was like for you and what was your message to your team? Yeah, it's very much. Uh, McKinsey might actually make me pay them, uh, this <laughs> given how much I've been actually in the Washington football team. But yeah, and, and thank you for you know 
flexing around that schedule, it was important that I took the time um, to give space for folks because it, it really is a tight knit group. You know that too, among sports journalists, et cetera. It, on a team, it's a tight knit group of folks, uh, no matter how um, high flying or um, mediocre or whatever the organization has been in recent years. Um, and so it affected everybody in many different ways. And if you think about something like a cancer diagnosis, almost all of us have some sort of story where we've been proximate to it. And so it's triggering and it's personal and you might think of things. And so I think it was really important uh, for us to give space and to listen to people uh, for, for their own health, which is first and foremost, um, we need to be an organization that cares about our people's mental health, their emotional well-being. Um, number two, because creating that sort of culture and open dialogue is going to allow people to continue to do their jobs, feel like the organization is invested in them, and then by, by nature, do better work. Um, uh, and also to signal a new direction um, and a different culture that we're trying to set. We've talked a lot about it. I've talked a lot about it in interviews. Um, you know, Julie Donaldson coming in has said a bunch of it. Other leaders in the organization have said a bunch of it. This is a, a chance for us to demonstrate that it's moving in a new direction um, uh, and that there will be forums where people are hurt. Uh, so that, that's why it was really important for me to do today. Can you tell me a little bit about your message and what you tried to uh, what you tried to leave with your employee, your employees today? Sure. Yeah, I'll try to channel it a bit. It was a bit extemporaneous. So I'll try to I'll try to call back to what I actually said. Um, uh, I, I said, number one, um, you know, you've been operating in a tough environment for some time. Everybody, every, I mean, all the research says us working in this COVID environment is just psychologically distressing. You know, it's hard for everyone of, in, of all types. And you're no exception to that. On top of that, this, there's been a ton of media and press about this organization that you've given your life to and invested in that's not positive. Um, and that feels very personal. And that, all that can very much feel like a weight. Um, you know, I, I shared that, that I understood that. Um, that I, I haven't felt it yet, but I've under, but I understood it, and that this this moment where you know a bright and shining um, flame of the organization, something quite positive, quite strong, quite stabilizing for the organization, um, is in a place where he's talking about a physical vulnerability that he has, and that is something that you know further puts people in a place of wow, there's just a lot going on. This is a lot to carry. Um, and I wanted to acknowledge that first, but then I wanted to call on the fact that, you know, Coach Rivera has demonstrated such strength and resilience and steadfastness in how he's responded to this. He's continuing to coach. He's saying, let's carry on with the normal. You know, I'm going to do all the right things to take, my, to take care of myself, but let's push forward. And I think, um, you know, what I encourage people to do is to find our own path to that. Not all of us can call on that strength as quickly as Coach Ron can or Coach Rivera can. <laughs> He's a unique person. The rest of yeah. us need to kind of sort through it, admit our anxieties, deal with our doubts, all that stuff to get there. But I, but I told him, let's kickstart that process today. Let's be open. Let's be vulnerable with one another. Let's share what we're really feeling. And then let's find a way to start encouraging one another so that we can get um, and live up to the role model that he's starting to, uh, to provide for us. I, I, think, I think Ron is... Uh is a he's kind of a fascinating person he can get along with anybody mm -hmm. he uh, i remember when he played for the bears back in those days back in the uh, uh you know in the 90s when i was doing game stories for sports illustrated in those days late 80s 90s what you could do is you could go into a place 
and ask the PR guy if you could have dinner with whoever the night before the game. And very often, I mean, one night I had dinner with Ditka the night before a game. But yeah. at this particular time, the night before a Packers-Bears game, I sat with Ron Rivera at a, at a Mexican restaurant in Appleton, Wisconsin, and talked for two hours about sort of the science of linebacking and stuff. Right. And he was such he was such an interesting guy, so earnest. Mm-hmm. And uh, and 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 so fast forward to today, every player I talk to who plays for Ron Rivera or has played for Ron Rivera, you might find somebody who, well, you know, I should have been starting, I should have been this, but whatever. That is that doesn't have anything to do with it. I'm talking mm-hmm. about the person, right? You know, right. he is he is simply a beloved figure, and that is why today, in my opinion. You've seen such an outpouring, uh, you know, last night and today, uh, an outpouring of, you know, sort of love and affection, you know, from Bill Belichick to uh, players on the Panthers to obviously a lot of players in in Washington. Tell me a little bit about how you have gotten to know him and just the impression early on Mm -hmm. that you have the guy who's going to coach your team. That's right. I mean, we're we're early on in the relationship, obviously, but... uh, his leadership in this on this team is one of the reasons I was excited about taking this role. When you're around, as you said, when you're around the league, you hear about this man. And it's not just that he's, you know, a, a good tactician and he knows how to build a good staff and all that stuff is true. But it's also that he is steadfast, that he's a person of integrity. He's someone where what you see is what you get. And I think especially for players and even executives, whomever it is in sports, where those tend to not be the characteristics that you apply to everything, where things shift on a dime, where there are a few sources of stability and constancy. When you find a rock like that, it is formative for your experience and you latch on to that. And that's why so many players talk about their experience with him, because he's an anchoring force. He helps people find he, he knows himself and that's why he's so stable. And then he allows all the rest of us around him to also anchor in ourselves as well. And as a player, that unlocks your performance. That makes you feel good. And it makes all this craziness that is pro sports feel a bit more tenable, a bit more digestible. You can sort of see you're making your way through it. I think that's what makes him so special. And I knew that already about him reputationally. And then in our first conversation, oh, my gosh, it came across. I mean, it was incredibly clear the way he talked about his values. Very succinct very crisp, um, unwavering in talking about the standards that he sets. Um, and it was arresting to me um, and everything was backed up. And I said, like, this is the guy I want to work alongside. Jason, I've got to ask you, I've noticed this in some of your interviews. Your vocabulary is awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's really, it's really, really good. And, you know, I find that somebody who has a really good vocabulary had you know, a mom or dad or an uncle or an aunt or a grandmother or grandfather who really stressed education yeah. and who for, who for Christmas would say, here, I got you three books this year. Tell me what you think of them. So I just want to know how you, you how you, you got mail. this. I mean, I don't know, but how did you, why are you like this? You what read my you? mail, man. You read my mail. Yes. That's exactly how I, I came up. Um, uh, <laughs> That's exactly how I came up. That's exactly how my parents were. And then on top of that, you know, my personality embraced it. I'm a nerd. I like 
information. I, I eat it up. Uh, and so you combine parents who are going to push you a ton of information all the time, a, a ton of resources, uh, some, and, and a personality that wants to just eat it up voraciously, then yeah, yeah that's what you end up with. But it isn't often that a reading nerd will get to be really good at football. And I know you went to Northwestern, yeah. but still, I, I, you know, I wondered, was there any sort of conflict along the way oh, between, yeah. you know, being really well-educated and trying to be great at this game? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's more in sort of like your identity because, you know, usually we root our identity in one or more of our strengths or something like that. I don't know. This is a little bit of you know, philosophical talk. But but I think a lot of times when you're an athlete, you root a bit of your identity in you know, being a ball player. Um, but I also rooted a lot of my identity in how I thought about things and being curious about topics and learning and all that stuff, too. Um, so I did always feel a little bit between worlds, a little bit between worlds. Um, but the good thing about football at the higher levels is it's actually pretty intellectual, um, it, especially when you're learning a new system, when you have a new coach come in, that ramp up period of learning all the nuances and before it becomes instinctual and second nature is is exciting. Um, but I still I mean, even with that, I still always felt a little bit between two worlds. That's why I'm really excited about this role. And it's quite personal for me is that I get to bring a little bit of all the parts of myself in a more integrated way than I have in the past. Who knows if I'm going to be good at it? I think I will be good at it, um, but we'll see. Do you think if you ask the 21-year-old Jason Wright or 22-year-old Jason Wright that what do you want to have? you want to have a long career as a running back in the NFL or do you want to have a long career uh, making decisions for an NFL franchise, what mm. what do you think you would have said at the time? Oh, interesting. I don't know. My twenty one or twenty two year old self was pretty greedy. <laughs> you wanted <laughs> you wanted I football. Give, give it you? all. I don't know. I was like, give it all. Give it all. <laughs> give it all. Give me a you know, give me a fifteen year career, and then the rest. You yeah. know, <laughs> and yeah. then the rest. Um, no, if if I were honest with myself in that moment, I always knew that. Um, um, I think my best and highest impact on the world and for myself and for my family probably lay outside of the hash marks. Um, because, you know, a lot of it, you know, my genetics were limiting <laughs> and what I was going to be able to do on the field, you know, I wasn't, what gonna... did you, what did you run the 40 in? See that, see, I, I invited that damn question. <laughs> uh, at the combine, I think I ran, a, you know, like low four, six. Oh, okay. And then, you know, at my best, I was probably like a mid four fives guy at my best, you yeah. know, on a good day when I was feeling. You know, hey, can I can I ask you something? I mean, yeah. I I've got a weird little nerdy memory about some football things. And when you got named, I said, ah, Jason Wright, Jason Wright. I got a, I, and I said to myself, Jason Wright once. I, and I, I didn't I didn't really remember it. And I had to go back and look it look it up. But. I remember you had a game against the Pittsburgh Steelers mm -hmm. in Pittsburgh yeah. in 2006. Yeah. Where, uh, and, you know, I, I'm going to sort of ask you how much you remember about it, but I had to go back and look it up to remember exactly what. So you started that game. It was a yeah. Romeo, Romeo Crennel. You started that game. 
and it's and it's Bill Cowher's last year, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, wow. in Pittsburgh, yeah. you're on it. You're on it. Both yeah. teams are struggling. Okay, you get the start, and I remember this because at the time, my wife is a Steelers fan, uh-huh. and so you know, I kind of remember Steelers games, and I said, "Oh my God." You know, they're, they're, they're going to lose. I remember thinking that day, they're going to lose to the Browns, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, and it's in Pittsburgh, yep. you know? Yep. And so I looked it up and let me give you a little credit. Okay. Yeah. 18 carries, yeah. 74 yards. Yeah. Yeah. That's your career high. Mm-hmm. And with five minutes to go or six minutes to go, you guys have a 20 to 10 lead. Yeah. And you blew the lead. The we Steelers, did. <laughs> Steelers <laughs> came back and won 24 to 20. But I have to think that, I mean, you went into the cradle of football. Pittsburgh, you know, terrible towels, everything like that. Even though it wasn't their best team, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That had to be kind of a cool day as you look back on it. What do you remember about that day? I do. So you know what I remember about it um, was that I found out I was starting five minutes before going out onto the field. Wow. What happened? Ruben Drones was scheduled to play and start. He was our starter at the time. And at the last minute, something health-wise happened during um, warm-ups that I didn't even know about. And went into the went with the trainers. And he, I remember it was Ruben who came over and he was like, Jason, you got this today. Um, and I remember thinking, first, you know, holy crap. I didn't say crap. I didn't say crap. Uh, and then immediately anchored in and said, oh, I know what I can do. Um, and that's actually, and, and I think that it's not, it's not necessarily confidence or, um, uh, or arrogance. It's actually just like an acceptance of who you are. Like, I'm not Ruben, you know, yeah. I'm not, I'm not someone else. I know what I bring to the party. I've got good vision. I can make, you know, good sharp cuts. I'll be well-rounded. I'll be fundamental today. I'll accelerate well. Like I just, all of the stuff that I knew I brought said, I'm going to bring that today. And that's what that happened in that moment. Um, And I think that allowed me to play really well. And I think sometimes when you have more notice, you can overthink it a little bit. So I think the snap notice really helped me have one of my more productive games in a highly intense environment. Now we blew it, you know, so, you know, take that for what it's worth. But I remember that as more of a, a leadership and personal growth moment than anything else. Of all of the players or people in the game, who've reached out to you in the last week or so or last week mm-hmm. and who've congratulated you. What does, does anybody from the playing field or, or any of your coaches do any of those people stick out from the reactions and the responses you've gotten? You know, I think the thing that comes out from, you know, guys I played with or coaches or others is that, you know, they get to know you in a really deep way. And that's one of the things that's beautiful about pro sports and what's significant about the locker room and why it's frankly hard for us all to transition when we leave that. You see each other in your moments of greatest stress, in your moments of greatest failure, in your moments of greatest triumphs. These are like peak and valley type of experiences. So you get to see into someone in a way that's unique and you develop bonds in a way that's very vulnerable and open. That doesn't happen in the real world. You know, we're fake as hell in the real world compared to the locker room. Yeah. And um, uh, uh, those, guy, those guys and, and gals, you know, folks on the media side that knew me really well, um, reaching out um, meant a lot 
um, because they said they th they said things to me that I you know I didn't even necessarily say say about myself that they saw me in a role like this one day and that they're they're proud of me for you know making good on what they thought was a path that I could always go down and I didn't have that vision for myself and so hearing that other folks believed in me at that level way before there was anything in my mind about being in an executive role like this was incredibly encouraging as I faced down my you know my new five minutes in the locker room, <laughs> get out there on the field. There's a whole big thing to operate. That's called the Washington football team, which is where I'm at now. Don't you find it really interesting that maybe over the last few years, I, this is, I, I really have started to think about this a lot this year. When I was on vacation this year, every year when I go on vacation, I get, people to write my Monday column for me. I've written it since 1997 and I get people to write this column for me. And I always look for people who are going to have something interesting to say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this year I, I mean, I asked a bunch of people, but this year, one of the people who did was Michael Thomas, the safety of the Houston Texans. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. And I, you know, we talked for a long time. What do you want to say? And, and we, we had some good conversations about it. And I said, listen, you, this is your column. You write what you want. Mm -hmm. And he wrote a bunch of interesting things, but mm -hmm. one of the sections in the column was basically Michael Thomas. He's safety for the Houston Texans. He's not the other Michael Thomas, mm -hmm. but he was talking about what an incredible year this is in the history of this country and how important it is for black people in this country to right now realize what's going on. And he wrote a chunk of his column hmm. on the case for reparations. Oh, interesting. And and so and so I just I remember I wrote him a note after the column and I just said, I never in a million years thought that there would be 400 words in Peter King's Monday right. football column reparations. about reparations. You know? <laughs> but I but I I loved it. And and I wonder, I wonder, you look at Michael Thomas. Malcolm Jenkins. I could name 50, 100 players. There are so many bright guys uh, in the NFL right now who, who really want to use this game uh, to help them with a platform to build a better life. Not necessarily just for black people or whatever. I'm mm -hmm. talking about to build a better life for this planet. Yeah. So I, tell me what you see maybe – compared yeah. to 15 20 years ago when you totally. were, when you were in it totally uh, it's very different now it's very different now i mean for me and, and i get it and i think i have a, a framework for understanding it that's that's personal to me as well um you know when i was playing i actually saw a bunch of the value not just in the salary i made but in the platform i had for the ideas that i cared about or the causes or topics that i cared about because right, wrong, or indifferent, when you're an athlete, people care what you have to say. They listen. Um, you know, for me at the time, it was a lot about economic empowerment in the inner city. It was a lot about spirituality. Um, it was a lot about education, early childhood education. There were all sorts of things that I was using that platform. Did you do a lot in Cleveland in the community when you yeah, played? Yeah, I had a lot. You know, my wife and I have a big do-gooder streak, so we did a lot of stuff. That's cool. <laughs> we did a lot That's very stuff. good. Yeah, help stand up a charter school network. Um, yeah. My wife, uh, we did anti-human trafficking advocacy. My wife wow. led an inner city after school program where our goddaughters that we raised came from. They were her, 
her students that we took in. Um, wow. So we've had we has so we've had this do-gooder streak for a while. Um, but I, but you know it was it wasn't at the the national scale. It wasn't you know changing things that have been foundational in society for years and you know sparked by athletes here now around the globe you know uh, it's other right. and it's very global in nature isn't it amazing to look at a premier league game yeah. and they've got george floyd t-shirts on warming yeah, up before the it's game it's remarkable. unbelievable it's remarkable yeah it's remarkable and you know um, Keyshawn johnson told me a, a really cool story that uh that he got really emotional post george floyd when he was driving through LA and he came onto a very affluent area and there was a demonstration and he looked over and either all or the vast majority of the demonstrators clogging the streets, they were all white. Mm -hmm. And he goes, this time, I really think it's different, but you know, anyway, yeah, I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. That no, I think, I think it's remarkable how uh, guys have found their voice and they're finding various different means to do it. And it's not, um, it's not about particular acts of protest or symbolism or whatever. Folks like you mentioned, Michael Thomas and most certainly Malcolm Jenkins, um, are really focused on taking actions that shift things, um, that change structural inequities around how capital flows, around how opportunities are created for folks. And that's at the essence of what will make a difference in the long run. That's a lot of what my research at my current firm, I guess, yeah, for a few more hours, um, uh, uh, focused on. Um, I think it's, I think it's important. And I think everybody, then this is one topic. I think th there's a playbook here for athletes and anybody in your sphere of influence to learn how to raise your voice on the thing you care about. Um, I think we're just in a society now where information and platforms are a bit more democratized for a yeah. variety of reasons. You know, when, when did you ever think you're going to have a podcast? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Um, uh, yours has a big platform and is supported and has a nice, you know, rainbow logo on it and all that, but others, other folks can have platforms too, and they can yeah. go viral, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's, we're just in an interesting time where, um, uh, you can be heard in a new way. And, and this is one theme and there's so many others and, and I'm uh, supportive of all. Jason, I've kept you way too long, but I've got to hit two other topics sure. quickly, okay? Just very quickly. Number one, I wonder, obviously, you have been at this firm uh, for a while, and part of what you do, I take it from what I've read, and you'll explain it to me, mm -hmm. is sort of crisis management, you know, where you go in and you help a company come back from the cliff, from mm -hmm. the edge of the cliff. It's back to, okay, all right, everything's going to be okay. You know, we had a rough patch, but whatever. And, right. and when I heard that, I said, how perfect, uh, you know, a bit of training is that? Tell me exactly what you did or what you've done at this company and how you think it might help you going forward. Yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be unsatisfying here because the client confidentiality is really high, but I'll try to give yeah. you what I can. I'll try to give you what I can. I'll give an earnest try. Um, you know, situate examples of situations I've gone in and helped companies navigate through. Uh, you know, they're, they they had a, a a bit of bad luck on whatever drives revenue for them, um, and all of a sudden they're not going to make uh, you know quarterly earnings targets and frankly, if they don't make it, then they're really in the tank and stock price will drop to a level where the, the company is struggling with solvency. Right. How do you really, how do you really quickly make some hard decisions that don't destroy the business, but get you back to a good stable place? You know, another one, 
is, you know, we've got, um, we've got good performance, but, you know, our people are really unhappy. We've got rampant toxic culture going around the organization and we have leaders that don't represent what we want them to represent. Um, how do we fix that? Where do we start in changing our culture and getting good leaders in place and becoming a place folks want to work? You know, another one might be, hey, we've got a whole new, we discovered this whole new thing. How do we take this out to the world? How do we even stand up something new that gets this new capability or this new product or whatever out to the world? You know, those are types of things that I've helped people right. through and work through and lead over time. So you That's feel that kind of you problem. feel that that could be an aid for you going forward in this new job? Yeah, I think it'll be I think it'll be incredibly helpful. Um, you know, I've got some pattern recognitions on some of the things that we are facing as a franchise, especially on the business side. Some of the specific things we're facing, I've got some packet pattern recognition and experience with. And for the things I don't, um, uh, I think one of the things I've learned working alongside other leaders is how to build a successful, diverse, and balanced team with the right expertise around you. And you know, in day negative two or three. I've actually met a ton of that expertise already. Um, there's some really great people in the organization. You know this about sports. You know, people yeah. work in sports because of passion. They can make a lot of money somewhere else typically, but they're in it because they love the game. And so they're immensely talented people in the organization that I've met and um, that I know will, will round out the places that I'm not strong. And that's actually, I think, the key. This is a, a football mindset that I took into business leadership. It's got to be collaborative. Yeah, you don't need everybody to be the yeah. best wide receiver in the world. I need the left tackle to be the left tackle. And I need the X receiver to be the X receiver. And if we all accentuate our strengths and rely on each other where we have gaps, we're going to be in really good shape. It's basically, you know, Cam I was in Tampa a week ago doing something about Brady and the Bucks, And I talked to Cameron Bray, who's one of three really good tight ends there. And I said, man, are there going to be enough footballs for you guys? I mean, you know, you got these two, basically two Pro Bowl wide receivers. Any of your three tight ends could make the Pro Bowl. And, you know, he, he uh, and I asked him about it and he goes, hey, listen, we have lost so much here that I honestly do not care if I catch zero footballs. If we win, I'm going to be happy. Mm. And he said it with the kind of earnestness. Yeah. I'm sure if it's week eight and he's got six catches on the season, yeah, he's not going to be the happiest guy. <laughs> but, right. That gets yeah. real low. Yeah. But, but that's. That's really what I found in Tampa. And I think that's probably what you'll find in Washington. I just get the feeling. Okay. So here's a last thing. I sure. wanted to ask, I wanted to ask you about Daniel Snyder, the owner of the team. But truth in journalism here first. I want to read you a paragraph I wrote a month ago in my column after the Washington Post story broke mm -hmm. uh, with 15 female employees of the team, two female media members. Uh, alleged uh, that there was sexual harassment by club employees. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's a string of everything to me with Snyder. But anyway, I, I headlined my little section of my column and I said, fire the owner. I said, Daniel Snyder has no business owning an NFL team. First, he stinks at it. Second, rightfully, he inspires nothing but enmity among his fan base. Third, no one wants to work for him or with him. It's a miracle he found a very good man, Ron Rivera, to coach his team. So having said all that, <laughs> here you are, this high-flying, really bright guy uh, doing very well in life at his job. Now, 
you're going to run Daniel Snyder's team. And I just wanted to ask you, I, I hate to ask you a one word question, but why? Why? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fair. Uh, I think, you know, with Rivera, with coach Rivera and Julie Donaldson and myself, we might be disproving one of the points in the paragraph around attracting, you know, right. our degree, good talent that's willing to work there. Um, I'll, I'll tell you why for me, I'll tell you why for me. Um, it's because once we met, the conversations I had with him, I can only describe as surprising to me because um, I, I, I read stuff. <laughs> I, I know external reputation. Um, but then when I when I sat down with Dan and Tanya um, and, I, and I wouldn't leave Tanya out of this picture, uh, they are very much a team. Uh, when I sat down with Dan and Tanya, the conversation was different than I would have expected. Yeah, we were going to talk about business. Yeah, we we're going to talk about the franchise and its future and expanding value and all that. And we got there. But we started in values. We started in talking about culture. They started to talk about words that I'd heard Coach Rivera say, a, a culture of inclusion, a culture of transparency, a culture of accountability. And, and we talked about it in a way that was tangible. It wasn't like we were just, it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a football press conference. <laughs> right. This was in the weeds of what does it mean to have a culture like that? And, and we talked about what Coach Rivera was doing on the football side and we brainstormed together what that could look like on the business side. And I heard real raw accounts um, of what they considered to be their mistakes in the past. And I shared mine as well. And that level of aspiration around those values combined with the vulnerability of our conversation, it built a bond that made us really excited to work together. I'm guessing that's what happened with Coach Rivera. I'm guessing that's what happened with Julie as well. That's, that is what got me here. Um, and so, you know, maybe counterintuitive to what folks think outside in, um, that got me excited, but that's still not enough because words and emotions are one thing. And I am a highly emotive guy, but I am not an irrational guy. At least I don't think. <laughs> there are clear steps that have been taken that made me think it's more than just words. Coach Rivera and Julie Donaldson are part of that. The independent investigation is part of that swift movement to take people out of the organization that were already revealed as bad apples. That's part of it too. All of those to me are signals that there is more than just talk, that there's action um, and that we're actually moving in a new direction, you know, on us to prove it or not, <laughs> to prove it or not. And can you ever be 100% certain? Sure as hell no, but I'm incredibly confident today. I'm fresh off a call with uh, Dan and Tanya that, um, was around our values, our culture, and what we're trying to build. Nothing's changed. Um, so I'm excited. Scott, are you, are you going to the office on, on Monday? Yeah, as long as I get through my COVID protocols. Wow. Yeah. Have, you are, have you already been, have you done the, have you done the testing I'm in, I'm so in, far? I'm in, I'm in our process, and I'm grateful to all of our guys um, who are leading this. You know, our head trainer, yeah. Ryan Vermillion, Chris Bloyer, um, Paul Kelly, uh, Rob Rogers, all the folks who are working this right now are doing a fantastic job. Um, it's quite rigorous. Um, I'm actually very familiar with um, navigating COVID. That's something that we've been helping my company's been helping businesses with, um, and I think they're doing a good job. Um, so I'm isn't I'm, isn't I'm, it amazing? Isn't it amazing when you think about it that right now, out of 2,700 players in NFL training camps, there's only four in the COVID IR uh, protocol. Yeah, yeah. that's I I I have to tell you, I'm shocked. Yeah. Every other day, there's a baseball team that has to cancel games because they have multiple people 
in, you know, uh, testing positive for COVID. I, and look, I have no idea what's going to happen. Exactly. No, no, I, no, I don't. No, it's don't a, it's very much a moving target, but I don't think anybody could have expected for it to be two tenths of one percent of the players. Right. You know, it's it, a great it, start. It's really, it really is. Start, yeah. But we're we're gonna have to we're gonna have to be shrewd. This yeah. If COVID, if anything, is unpredictable. So I expect us to be able to, to need to change the operating model. I expect us to have to shift. You know, once we're traveling to games, it's going to be a different beast. Like I, I get all of that is coming, but I, I, I really have a lot of confidence in our, our ability to execute right now. Jason Wright, thank you so much. I wish you all the best. And even though I haven't been the nicest uh, with my uh, at my keyboard about your team, I really have such incredible memories of great moments and times and games mm -hmm. at RFK and at, you know, covering this team over the years. It right. is, it is a flagship great franchise yeah. that I hope for all the people who love this team, I really hope you succeed. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, and I hope so too. My thanks to Andy Reid and Jason Wright. Uh, before I'm out, uh, let me just remind you of some really cool programming that you can take advantage of now um, on Peacock, which is the new streaming NBC channel, uh, which is going to have a lot of NBC sports programming that you're really going to enjoy. PFT Live with Mike Florio and Chris Sims most days uh, is going to be on from 7 to 9 a.m. every day and it's also you know that's also 4 a.m. pacific for those who don't know time zones um dan patrick is going to be on at 9 a.m. eastern time from 9 to noon and then rich eisen the rich eisen show from noon to three now that is a fantastic lineup uh florio and sims Seven to nine, Dan Patrick, nine to noon, Rich Eisen, noon to three. In September, they'll be adding Brother from Another um, with a couple of people I think you're really going to enjoy. Michael Holly, Boston-based, and Michael Smith, uh, you know, who's had a great career in, in media. They're very opinionated guys. That's going to start in September at 3 p.m. Eastern. And then PFT PM with a bunch of Mike Florio interviews, uh, and 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 just extra Florio. Uh, that's also coming in September, 6 p.m., five days a week. So NBC Sports on Peacock. You've got to tune in. You're really going to learn things. So that's the podcast for this week. Thanks so much for joining me. And uh, I'll be back next week. And I have no idea what I'm doing next week. But come back. We'll have a lot of fun. And also, hey, by the way, if you haven't heard it, I got a really cool conversation with Patrick Mahomes, which is also up um, on the NBC Sports uh, channels. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, and, and also you can find it uh, where you find the Peter King podcast.
start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.